And the people say to Jesus, you know, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery and the law says that we should stone her. And of course, Jesus has his famous line, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And everybody walks away. In fact, scripture says they all begin to leave beginning with the eldest, which means the older we get, the more we're aware that we are not without sin. And so once everyone is gone and she is still cowering in fear for her life, he looks at her and says, woman, where are they? Is there no one left to condemn you? And she looks up and she says, no one, sir. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on do not sin anymore. And when people hear this story, they're like, you see, Jesus doesn't judge. And my answer is no, he judges. He certainly judges, but unlike the rest of us, he can see her heart. He knows what's going on inside of her. He knows that she's being used as a tool. He doesn't simply say, neither do I condemn you, by the way. He says, go and sin no more. That's always his condition. Go and sin no more. When he's talking to his disciples and he says to them, I no longer call you slaves but friends, for a slave does not know what his master is doing. He then adds, you are my friends. If you do what I command you. Jesus' love and his forgiveness his consolation and his friendship are conditional. And he's the one who gets to set the conditions because he is God and we are not. And so he constantly warns us, and here he warns us again, that that gift of salvation, a free gift of God, requires a response from you and from me. And that response is rooted in what we heard in Sunday's gospel. Love of God and love of neighbor. And the key to loving God is to avoid sin. Because scripture tells us and Christ tells us that the wages of sin are death. And that if we live our lives thinking that we can do whatever we want, we can say whatever we want, and we can be whatever we want, that we can pick and choose which of God's commands we want to follow and which we want to ignore, then we are not entering through the narrow door. If we think that because Jesus came into the world, suffered, died, and rose again so that we could have eternal life. That gives us license to do anything. We are not entering through the narrow door. And if we don't enter through the narrow door, we cannot enjoy the kingdom of heaven. There's a heavy burden placed on each and every one of us as Christians to live God's commandments. Jesus did not do away with the law. The law handed down by Moses on Sinai. 
those Ten Commandments that sum up love of God and love of neighbor. He calls us to conversion. He calls us to repentance. And he at least asks that we try to be better. Now, to help us along the way, he's given us a great deal. He's given us the sacraments. I mean, I just spent an hour and a half bringing Jesus' love and mercy to people who seek it. But I know, at least for myself, there are times when I go to confession, not, I hate to admit this, not quite so much that I feel bad about what I did as I know that I have to because I know I did something wrong. I'm better now, but I'm not perfect. And we tend to lose sight of the fact that one of the things that is necessary for absolution is a firm purpose of amendment. Not just coming today saying, so I can do it again tomorrow. And please bear in mind, there's a difference between coming today and thinking, I don't want to, but I'll probably do it again tomorrow. And coming to confession today and say, it's okay if I do it tomorrow. It's not a matter of saying, well, I can do this today and go to confession tomorrow. Christ calls for a real conversion of heart. For us to really embrace the gift of grace that he gives us in penance and reconciliation. And above all, in the most blessed sacrament. In the gift of his body, blood, soul, and divinity. The grace that comes from that, the power that comes from that. And I think one of the biggest problems is that we don't believe that God can give us the grace and the power to overcome these sins, especially the habitual ones. We don't have enough faith in ourselves to then turn to God and let him pour his grace upon us. We look down on ourselves. We deprecate ourselves. We insult ourselves. And we say things like, I'm never going to get any better. And that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Jesus wants us to be better. And he wants us to be better, not for his sake, but for ours. God didn't give us a bunch of commandments to control us. He gave us commandments to help us be the best version of ourselves. Turning our life over to Christ doesn't take away anything that is good and right and beautiful and proper about you or about me. It just takes away all of the difficulties, problems, and sin. But if we're not willing to do that, if we're not willing to make time for him in prayer and in the sacraments, how can we expect him to know who we are? I tell you, I do not know where you come from. 
when I was, when I was at school, at the school where I was the chaplain for three years, one of the things I heard most often in confession is, I don't pray, Father. And so I asked a question to the kids, whenever someone would tell me that. Do you want to spend eternity in heaven? Well, yes. Why? Well, because God's there. I said, well, do you want to move into a house with me? No. Why not? I don't even know you. You don't even know God. Why do you want to spend an eternity with a complete stranger? He doesn't want complete strangers coming into the kingdom. He wants his friends. And we are his friends if we do what he commands. And so it is a narrow door. It requires a lot of us. And failure to enter through it, there's only one other place to go. And it's not Ikea for the meatballs. If we want to go to heaven, we need to do what Christ tells us to do. Now he says, Many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Many, I tell you. That's really frightening. But what does he really mean? I think this is where the good news comes in. I had a professor in seminary, Dr. Peter Kraft, who, I hope this isn't going on the internet. He's a wonderful man. Just really a remarkable human being. Great sense of humor. Towering intellect. Terrible teacher. I mean, just really bad. But he asked us this question once. Now, of course, we were a bunch of guys in our 40s and 50s in the seminary, so it may not be quite as powerful. But he said, if you were a father and you had six children and someone told you that one of your children would have a, a horrible debilitating disease. <clears throat> that would be too many, wouldn't it? One of six, one of ten, one of twelve. That's many for the heart that loves his children. Even one is one too many. And if you were told that all, all but one of your children will have long and fruitful and joyful lives, wouldn't that be too few? For God, the loss of one soul is many. And the redemption of all but one soul is too few. He wants you desperately desperately to be with him. He created all of this so that you could be with him. He gives you everything you need so that you can be with him. 
but he will not force it. He loves you too much for that. He will let you go if that is what you want. He will not stop you. Though it will break his heart to lose any one of you, to lose any one of us. He's gone to so much trouble to create you and to redeem you. But he needs your yes. You need to acknowledge that the way is narrow. And you have to ask God for everything he can give you to help you to walk through the narrow door. And then you have to ask him to give you everything you need to help everyone you love do the same thing.